If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Health Care for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, hey, Better Nation. Welcome to season four. Yes, I said season four, y'all. This is your host, Dr. Erica, and I'm so excited to start this season off with my fabulous guest, Aaron Johnson. He is a facilitator, public speaker, and touch specialist who practices closeness as a way to break down barriers between people. You need to keep listening because he does so much more than this, and I can't keep you here forever in this intro. So you might be wondering what questions will we be answering? Number one, what is a touch specialist? Number two, how do you take inspiration from your life to find and create ways to live in your purpose? Number three, why relationships matter and how they can assist you with moving through grief. Number four, how do you tackle big goals like ending racism? Now, whether you've experienced trauma or racism or are looking to be an ally, there is something in this discussion for you. Also, Erin has a unique story that is inspiring when it comes to creatively finding paths to your own healing and fulfilling big personal missions. Whether your purpose is simply being a great human or making a big footprint of change on the world, you're going to want to listen until the absolute last minute of this episode. Now, let me stop talking about it and just let you hear the episode for yourself. Again, welcome to season four. Better with Dr. Erica. Hey, 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 Better Nation, and welcome to another episode of Better with Dr. Erica. This is your host. You know me, I'm Dr. Erica. I wish you could see me right now because I just realized I always forget this, and this is a tip for all of you that record. I am a lip gloss person, not lipstick, lip gloss. And what happens with tacky lip gloss is you start speaking and it's like your lips stick together, and I feel like it makes this little sound. So you're missing the visual of me blotting my lip gloss while I talk. So just a little bit of what is going on behind the scenes. But back to what we're actually here for, because we're here for another episode. I am over the moon about who I have for you today, because he is doing such great work and this is my first time meeting him, but even before I met him, I could tell he is so thoughtful and just giving so much to the community and to other human beings that since we're all about being better here, you know, I want you all to be able to be better, do better, and live better, and to have that life that you were created for. And he's someone that I feel like is truly living in his purpose. So I needed to have him. Now, you if you didn't fast forward through the intro, you probably know a little bit about him. And you know, I already told you, we started this in season three. I am not going to be reading full bios. Even though reading is fundamental, 
even though I read very well, I have a whole bunch of degrees, I'm not doing all the reading. So what I'm going to do is just say one thing about him, then I'm going to let him take over because no one can tell you about Aaron Johnson like Aaron Johnson. So the the main thing I just want to tell you is that he is a facilitator, public speaker, and touch specialist that is doing all of the things. But I'm going to let him tell you what all of the things are because, you know, I've been watching a bunch of Korean drama, so I'm in for a little bit of mystery. So I'm going to give you mystery for like, what, 10 seconds? So welcome to the show, Aaron. Can you tell the people about yourself? Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. Oh, that was special. Oh. I'm just honored. Um, yeah, about me. This is not on my uh, bio per se, but it's important to name is that I I am I have two parents. My dad passed away and my mother is still with us. Um, but I want to name that they are, I could still feel their presence. If, 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 if they kind of sit in the backdrop of my compassion, my investment in um, really trying to interrupt trauma stories. And so for me, in a lot of ways, in the in the founding of holistic resistance and the founding of grief to action, these organizations are really built about um, taking on oppression, taking on things that oftentimes are missed or maybe seen, but not quite unpacked deeply. And so for me, I'm a facilitator. I do a lot of speaking, but ultimately I'm really about bringing folks together um, and, 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 and dismantling all the things that might separate us, either economics or racism or geographic location. These are all places I would like to disrupt. And so oppression does sit in the middle of that, but Oppressions, like all things, it's kind of blended into our culture. It's not in one spot. It's kind of mixed in. So for me, I'm I'm a I'm a facilitator that that focuses on human connection and dismantling oppression. And also, some people might know me as an earth builder. They might say, Aaron, you build earth domes and you you live in an earth dome for like five years and you teach that sometimes. Yes, that's true. And some people might say, Oh, Aaron, you're you're a singer. I've been to your song circles. You're, you're a singer. And that's, that's that's true. Um, and what I find is they're not really separate. Earth building and singing and facilitating, these are all just different formats of the same magic. And I, I say that coming back to my my mother and father because um, I grew up in a little town called Feeling, California, which I still live in actually right now in Southern California. And you're not supposed to do anything outside of maybe working at a typical store, a typical thing. You're not supposed to do anything unique coming out of that city. But my mother raised, I'm, I'm in the middle of five, raised five wow. of us to have a unique vision and didn't let us give up on that. And I just want to name that as a part of my kind of uh, uh, background behind my resume or bio is that narrative. I said my mother, not to erase my father, was dynamic, but my mother was the one that said, this is how you speak. This is how you speak. Now, this is how you could professionally speak at like 10, 11 years old. So we were all kind of raised. So both, my mom and dad were both pastors. And so they both were really oh. skillful at like, you just how to be in front of people. And so that's the way that I just want to name it. It's kind of how I arrive in the world. And it's, yeah, it's really, uh, I, I feel like every time I'm in a podcast or speaking, it's never just me. I have so many folks standing next to me and around me so I can feel those folks present this morning. That's where I'm at. Yeah. So it seems like I just have multiple guests this morning because they're all in a room. <laughs> they're all here. Um, yeah. but, but he's not hallucinating or delusional. <laughs> <sighs> I totally love it. Before we get into the deep stuff, I have a question for you. Yeah. What is your favorite thing to drink? I am hooked on hibiscus tea. I a friend of mine bought me this beautiful tea kit and I've just been on a regular basis drinking hibiscus tea with a little bit of honey and a little bit of mint if I feel like I want to like talk or sing is my drink to go to. How do you feel when you drink hibiscus tea? Like now I feel like these days because I was pushing myself pretty hard coming out of last year and this tea kit came 
and I was like, I'm going to open it, I'm going to open it. And now when I drink tea, it is really about, and it kind of goes into some of my current work is it's about rest. It's about slowing down. The tea has a tiny little teacup. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. the cutest little thing. And I drink so much tea out of, and it just slows me down. It's small. I got two fingers to drink it. It's, it's a beautiful kit. And it slows me down. And for me, that's how I feel. I feel slow. I feel dropped in. Um, and I don't have a lot of tea rituals. It's not the historical habit. I'm like, this feels ritual. So for me, I feel grounded when I drink tea and I feel slow. When in, in my life, that's really a gift. I, I knew I'd love you because I'm a tea drinker. And one of, I'll let you, I'll let the audience in on a hack I use that makes me slow down when I drink tea. Um, pouring water out of gooseneck kettles. You yeah. can't rush a pour out of a gooseneck kettle. So at yeah. some point you have to slow down because that water is only going to come out so fast. So you can be buzzing, 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 but when it's time to pour the water, you have to slow down. Yep. Truth. So that's one of my favorite things about it is it, it slows me down because it's physically impossible for me to rush that process. Mm-hmm. Love it. See, I knew we'd be on the same page. <laughs> So before we get talking, and this is probably all related of kind of how you got into all of these different ways of manifesting being a disruptor, what exactly is a touch specialist? Yeah, that's huge. The touch specialist is important because um, in, in parts of the United States, the Northwest, parts of the East Coast, there's there's cuddle people, they're professional cuddlers. And I remember the first mm-hmm. time I saw a video online about professional cuddle. I was like, what is, what is that? Is that just on a job, you know? And it comes up in articles. And over the last couple of years, people are like, I'm a professional cuddler. And, and a touch specialist is not a professional cuddler. I mean, you can be a, a cuddler and a, and a touch specialist, but touch specialist, it, the way we train it here in holistic resistance and grief to action is specifically slowing down what I frame as the chronically undertouched. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a touch specialist is someone that understands that touch is not just my hand on your skin or my hand on your back that touch is an environment right touch is taken away from particularly black bodies through the environment and we have to kind of create an environment where we can give it back to them and so for me uh, a touch specialist is not someone that says i'm gonna touch you and you're gonna be okay that's mm-hmm. fine a touch specialist says how you've been hurt around touch a touch specialist says how has oppression systemically around you maybe make touch not available how does your positionality your identity either be trans or black or maybe raised poor or currently in a, in, a, in a low-income space, how does that limit your opportunity for touch? Maybe you're working five jobs and you have four kids and you have some challenging relationship. You don't have a lot of time for tender touch. That rest for, for the for the low income is expensive. Um, and so in America, mm-hmm. the capitalist structure right now. So I think to me, a touch specialist is someone that says, I am going to build a complex and like holistic resistance, holistic touch plan is that we're going to talk about touch to the earth, touch to yourself, Touch to uh, historically in your family. How does how does the lineage? Is, I, I work with young black men, and uh, I work with a lot of folks, but young black men are the ones that are, are oftentimes show up as the most chronically undertouched. Um, the the definition and, and the framing for touch for them is the NFL, the UFC is violent, aggressive touch. These are the things that that oftentimes define touch for them. So if I walk up to a couple of young black men, this is an example of like what a touch specialist is analyzing, and I say to them, Hey, I got a hundred bucks here and some boxing gloves. You put on some boxing gloves, like whoever knocks the person out or wins the next couple of hits gets hundred bucks. They put the gloves on, they'll be at each other almost most like, ah, funny laughing, maybe hitting a little bit, but it'll be normal. And if I had the same hundred bucks, same two young black men, I said, Hey, I just want to sit down and 
and I just wanna I wanna offer you all some money, but I just wanna sit and just hold hands for a minute and sit and hold hands. You would think I tossed a snake in their lap. That invitation mm-hmm. to relax and to hold each other's hand becomes violent because that context of of touch for young black men is a question of all their identities. Am I a man enough? Am I straight or am I queer? What am I at? All this comes up for them. And so that that is an environment, right? If you go to any infant child, they're not confused about touch, but somewhere mm-hmm. between five, three, two to 15, you'll find it extracted for some folks' experience. And that's the culture around it. So the touch specialist is someone that looks at the environment, the family, the community, and says, I wanna build a conference touch plan that might take a year. It might take a year to get your first hug. We know we're all on the path of making you have access or, or, or fighting for your access to platonic and thoughtful touch. And so for me, a touch specialist is that person. It's kind of a, uh, it's almost, I imagine it um, that we all have access to this tool. It's not something that you have to go to like um, many, 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 many years of school to do. We all know how to touch. It's a part of it, but it, it, kill, skill is to navigate oppression skillfully and then make it available. So touch special is that person that kind of tracks, my language again here is tracks the trauma stories and creates an environment that we can um, uh, make touch not so much of a snake on the lap. Um, and make it more of a, oh, this is, this is part of my human experience. I get to eat food, I use the restroom, and I get to hold someone's hand and not have to worry about the complexity around being close to human beings. So that's the that's the nutshell of the practice okay. of a touch specialist, and that's how we arrive. How, how did you discover it? Oh, yeah, that is, you know, it's funny, I discovered it in myself, right? So I realized at 30 that um, I'm 40 now, so give you a context of my this kind of journey has been for me. And I realized that I had people around me, had a partner, I was, but I, but tender touch was like, oh, I wasn't there. What was really kind of the first kind of inkling for me is tears. I didn't have access to my tears. Um, and so I was like, well, something's up with my, like I could tell I was talking to my uh, fiance, became my wife at the time. So my fiance was like, I was telling this really painful story about my father's death. I didn't cry the entire time. I just told it like it was like, almost like a, a, a talk telling, a, a masculine telling the story. And she's like, she's crying. And, and she never met my father. And um, she's like, Aaron, why aren't you feeling that? You should check that out. Like, you should work on that. Like, you should feel that. It took me two years to access my tears. What happened during my tears, working on my tears, is I realized that there's some other things I was missing. Touch was one of them. And so that, that kind of started the journey of self-examination. And at the time, I was doing a mentorship program with young African heritage men that were on the verge of being either homeless or put in prison or they were having a hard time. And I had a young man from Inglewood who was, uh, came to High Desert to be a mentor. He lives, it's almost like a child, like a child, okay. he's adult, he's 18, but he's he's living with me, his shelter, his food is all in the mentorship program. This is like a, this is a um, kind of intensive mentorship turnaround experience, kind of a, not a group home, but kind of a similar to that. Like we're we're in community together. And he, I remember we, we were in conflict every other day. I mean, I just, this is one of the hardest mentees I've ever had. I mean, we're like back in the floor, did some chores, ah, we're, we're arguing. It's like, it's a conflict. And I just like, and I don't ever yell at my mentees, so this is important. I don't use any kind of, I don't raise my voice. They can yell at me often, but I don't use that trauma story back at them. It's about interrupting those historical patterns of verbal abuse. And so he would just be at me every other day. Back in, we, had, we had like 20 deaths at the time. And I remember I was going to a workshop teaching anti-racism to Oakland um, in South California, it's like a six hour drive. And I said, I need you to, um, need you to go and uh, uh, muck the duck pen and do a little bit of cob work and it takes all about three hours, you got three days. I was coming back from that workshop and I get in there and the duck's pen was not mucked. It was just taking the poop out of the pen and the cob, the little cob spot was not done. And he had three hours of work in three days. He didn't do any of it. And so I asked him about it and he got really upset and he was in conflict again. I'm like, oh, this, oh, this is, oh, this is going to work. And I remember 
in that conflict, he, he went to step away. He went to walk away. I said, we got to talk. He said, I don't want to talk. I'm like, okay, you might want to talk, but I'll tell you what. If we talk for five minutes, you'll never muck a duck pin again in your life. And he's like, whew, that's a good, oof, I don't want to talk to you, but I don't want to muck these pins. And so I went and sat down and waited for him to make a decision. And he came over. And one of the rules is we don't lie. So if I sit like that, that's the truth. So he comes over and sits down. He's like, yeah, I'll talk. And that five-minute conversation turned into an hour, actually. It was probably one of the most transformative conversations me and him had ever had. And in some ways, transformed me in some ways. And I asked the question in that conversation. I'm not sure what evoked the question. I said, when was the last time you had thoughtful, platonic touch in the last 12 months? He'd been staying with us for maybe two months at the time, three months. And he sat there and he thought, I said, for like three minutes, like any kind of thoughtful, platonic touch in three minutes. And he goes, he looks at me and goes, I, I can't think of three minutes in the last 12 months where I had thoughtful, platonic touch. And that just, boom, hit me in the chest. I'm sitting in that conversation. I'm like, I can't even remember. This is like seven years ago. Anything else in that conversation, but I remember that, that response. And then my response to him was, can you go back? How far back do you have to go before you remember some thoughtful touch for three minutes or more? And he went back, he went back, and he went all the way back. He was five years old. And he was on his uh, grandpa's knee playing a historical child game of horsey. Mm. And as he was telling me that memory, I just saw his body relax. He was like almost smiling. You never guess. He was very activated maybe 45 minutes before that moment. He was just almost like going back. And I'm just looking at him, and I'm like, oh, snap. And when I left the conversation, I tried to do some writing about it. And I wrote the phrase chronically under-touched. And I wrote three minutes, 12 months. Three minutes. You can cook a hot dog in the microwave for three minutes. He couldn't find three minutes of thoughtful platonic touch. Violent touch is really available. Mm-hmm. Being being roughed up, but, but thoughtful touch. And so I realized I was on to something. So I, I kind of digested that. I said, I need to, I Googled it. Black man. How do we a touch plan? Like how do I how do I build a, a young black man from a crying on the touch to and Google gave me nothing. I saw black men doing everything, almost violence was there, but I couldn't find a thoughtful, like practical plan to take someone from a crunk touch state to a balance. And I spent the next twelve months, which is him and I. So I asked him at the end of that conversation, I said, Can I give you a hug? He said, No, no, I don't I want a hug. I said, Cool. I said, Can we just talk about it? He said, Yeah, we can talk about it. And that's when I, I went to Google. I went to people I knew. I was like, who has a touch plan? Did you? And I said, touch and young black men. People look at me like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Why, why would you want platonic, thoughtful touch for young? I, they were confused almost. It was like mm-hmm. it was just a, a vacuum of. So that's how I started the, the journey is just trying to help this one mentee seven years ago now, almost eight years ago now. So for me, that's when I was into the conversation. And I saw this not a lot of accessible. Mind you, I'm in Thielen. Yeah. So I'm, not, I'm an hour and a half from Los Angeles. I'm three hours from Vegas. So I'm I'm two and a half hours from San Diego. So all the major cities that are great and wonderful are still kind of away. So I, all the good therapists and innovate, they're in those cities. So, that, so internet was my best hope. And so that's how I started the idea that we need to work on having touch accessible and a plan from the crunk of states to balance. And that's what I went on for 12 months. That's how I, that's how I entered into the work. I, I love that story. And it always intrigues me what's the story of how people got to where they are. But one of the things I see so much in my work, because I work with so many people that have experienced trauma, um, don't even get me going on the the side note of all the things that are trauma that people don't realize are trauma because it's happened to so many people around them that they no longer realize it's trauma because it seems like normal life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just the amount of distance that's put between humans once they've experienced trauma because mm-hmm. they don't feel 
safe that mm-hmm. it's hard for them to feel that there are safe people, safe spaces, yeah. or even yeah. that their body itself is safe. Mm-hmm. And in that distance of not being able to connect, you end up with situations where people can't be touched in a way that feels safe to them. Yeah. But also we're in such a weird culture. It's um, My listeners probably have realized that I don't know um, those folks on Instagram somehow decided to show me K-pop. k-pop and k-dramas and um i haven't had a chance to rabbit hole overall korean culture but i realized one of the things that attracted me to k-pop was how how freely safely people touch each other Mm. you know that you'll you'll see the at least the ones that make it to make it to the socials, you know, the, the, especially in the male groups that they hug, they kiss each other, they show mm-hmm. each other affection, mm-hmm. they say kind things to each other, yeah. you know, they still tease each yeah. other and stuff too, but yeah. you know, it's just yeah. very different than the culture I've been surrounded um, in the United States. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not out here saying that there is no toxic masculinity in Korea. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that you have a, a space of their culture that doesn't present that face forward. Mm-hmm. Yes. So real. And so that was one of the reasons I <laughs> I kind of started following K-pop because I'm like, this is so different. I think mm-hmm. it was just so, so intriguing because I'm like, I can't remember the last time I saw that many men hugging and it wasn't mm-hmm. a family reunion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or or like a fraternity event when people hadn't yeah. seen each other in a long time. Yeah. You know, it's just been so long. I just don't see those things. So it was very intriguing. But just in my work, I see so often that people can't tolerate being touched. No. Or have difficult times identifying what is safe touch. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, But I love how you also brought out the fact that there are these environments where it's not that people don't want to engage in touch, but they don't have time. You know, if you're, you know you don't necessarily seek touch at your job. No, <laughs> so, no. you know, those people that you mentioned that are working a lot of hours and things like that so that they're separated from their loved ones most of the day also don't have those opportunities. So I, I really love the way that you frame that. Mm. No, thank you so much. It's important. I'm still, I'm still digesting the magnitude of this work as I put it into the world. Well, and one of the things that I think is beautiful and that you are demonstrating is how you creatively find solutions to needs. Mm. Mm. That and also the way you've you've named it and have put language to it. Mm. Because I think there are other other areas that do kind of work that's aligned with that, but not in the same with the same perspective. And it's one of the reasons I love having people like you on the podcast is that different perspectives are going to be palatable for different people. Mm, so true. You know, there there are people that can wrap their mind around a concept of touch that may not be able to sit and have long conversations about trauma. Yeah. Or or wouldn't necessarily feel that they want to see a psychiatrist, but they're like, I can, I can, I can talk to this touch specialist. <laughs> That's so real. That's so real. Yeah. So for some reason, people think we're kind of scary. Yeah, I, I, that's true. I think it's getting better. 
I love that, and particularly African heritage community, that we're getting a lot more thoughtful around getting support uh, with with professionals. And I always say a touch specialist should work with a therapist mm-hmm. or work with a, a a mental health specialist to help even bring in that counter um, mm-hmm. support. And I feel like um, just like AA for alcoholics, like it's it's one of those things that they 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 support each other. It's a kind of a peer to peer group, and at the same time, there is some deep thinking. And as much as this is not that, it's very similar in the sense that I want to empower. Uh, everyday people. Our touch specialist program just graduated our first class. I think it's um, this next week we have our last class. Um, and these are massage therapists. These are parents. These are um, therapists. These are um, full-time activists that are all in this program together to learn how to be with each other, but also to track. Um, it's almost systemic. So you look around and like, oh, it's everywhere. And at the same time, but we all get to be supportive and we work together. This is, this is a village building process. It's a living document. So I love that about it. When I see the work get put into the world now, eight years after that infamous conversation. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for your better mental health tip by yours truly, Dr. Erica. Do you ever feel overstimulated like you can't do people one more minute? Between being pushed to the edge with your mental capacity and social changes with COVID, this is something I hear all of the time. I even have some moments where I just need some alone time. Now, my tip this week is two parts. Part one is give yourself permission to have some alone time to recharge. You don't need to ask permission for it. Take it. Getting run down or emotionally overstimulating is not the new sexy. It can make you feel tired, irritable, or anxious. Now, part two is take some time to get some of that alone time in the fresh air, be it a walk, a cup of coffee or tea outside, or walking the dog. Breathing fresh air is healing itself. Okay, you've got this. Now back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. So how did you become passionate about ending racism? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because for me, you know, I have been doing the mentorship program with young black men, particularly in the, some black women as well, and uh, some black queer folks in that collection of folks. But what I found is, I mean, I knew racism existed. I knew it was always a part of my life. My parents were very candid about it. I could feel it when I grew up and got older. But when I'm mentoring, trying to get a young person through high school, trying to get them into just a college, um, I saw um particularly black folks, like doing good work, doing their homework, going to sleep, getting up, getting at work, just meeting opposition at opposition. And so I found myself in hallways at, at schools, talking to probation officers, um, at, at colleges advocating for my, my mentees. Um, and a lot of it was about race. Like, I, I don't know how many times it would be like something would racially happen in the classroom and they would like pull up my students, uh, my mentees, like, student record of their grades for the last three years. I'm like, why are you, why are you trying to investigate my student when I, they're just bringing up, you know, they're, they're trying to like find, like they're not thinking of the students we disregard, like really questioning their intelligence, like questioning. I saw the folks that were doing all white folks in power in most of these contexts. And so I started seeing that they were also seeking that help. Like, how do I hold your mentee better? And so I would be in a hallway or I'll be in the classroom or I'll be outside of a school trying to explain to a teacher that their language or their words or how they're speaking to my mentee was uh, not only painful, but was, um, uh, oppressing and also was some systemic racism in that language and thinking and started getting some traction there and uh an organization hired me um i won't say their names they're out of business now and they fired me after that but there was a, they hired me um and it was a powerful organization that was doing good work like all good things happening and the the white folks had control of the organization um and they were trying to help some black folks and they hired me to come and help and i came in and it was going really well for a good year and what i found was oppression came right in 
and, and close the program in context of like, there's a limit on how much you want to support black folks thriving. And I realized I didn't need to have that power over my head to make this work happen. And so I was like, I need to birth holistic resistance and really birth something that um, doesn't require um, the state or any one single white person to fund it, but it could be funded and supported by black folks and led by black folks. And so that helps me really organize what I was doing for free on the streets and in the corners and trying to help black folks that, and, and anyone that was getting oppressed, but particularly black was my kind of lane I was in, the holistic resistance allowed me to then work with organizations in school districts, from Oakland School District to Colorado State University to San Diego to really work with different university institutions around not only DEI work, but really slowing down the trauma story of oppression. And that um, was birthed in the last year and a half of Obama era, kind of was working on that material. Then going into the end of that era, it just, it, it, it really started to deepen into the, the levels of uh, pain and, and the need for thoughtful thinking around dismantling oppression in the workplace and our community. I do a lot of work with intentional communities. Um, and so this folks are trying to think well, um, but not sure how to do it. And so that felt like my entry point. And I think the biggest piece around that is um, a little context about how I navigated school is uh, school has been one of the most stressful things for me growing up. Like I struggled in high school, I have, this, I have dyslexia and I struggled in college. What I saw was, is the advocates, the mentors, the people that stood in the gap that dismantled the oppressive material was everything. And so for me, holistic resistance, we wanna resist at all levels holistically, um, is the desire to uh, bring that level of resistance, but not bring it in a way that is like um, divisive or attacking, but really bring the heart. My little sister, Lilia, who I, it's hard to even say little sister because she has a big, a giant of an energy, has a song she wrote that says, lay your heart on my soul. There's a, there's a phrase out of the song. Oh, right? wow. Lay your heart on my soul. And when I hear her sing that, which is worthy to hear, uh, when I hear her sing that phrase in the chorus of the song, I think to myself, that is what we're trying to do. If you lay your heart on somebody's soul energetically, I don't know if you can get closer than that. I mean, that's, 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 that's oppression can't fit between that kind of love and care. And so when you bring that kind of backdrop to painful work, anti-racism work, um, that's what motivates me to see that happen in a, in, a, in a micro sense or in a larger organization. That to me, um, what, what ignited me getting into the work and what keeps me in the work, which otherwise can be very taxing to do. Um, that that spirit of that phrase, lay your heart on my soul. That's what babies do all the time. You when you see a baby and a mom going to the hospital, I guess they are just naturally laying their heart on the mom. So there's no there's like when that when that relationship's happening nicely. Or wherever the parent is, mother, father, parent. When that drops in, often the mother I see this happen with, that's oppression could hardly fit between that. We know trauma will happen with a parent and child relationship over time, but there's a beautiful clarity, clarity of, of babies get it. We always say children are our biggest teachers in holistic resistance. And that's what we're, we're reaching for, reaching back to what we already knew when we came out of the wound is like we know how to go and reach for people. And so I love um, uh, being with that feeling of, of the, 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 the intelligence, the emotional intelligence of a baby. Is kind of also the the the, the motivation of us reach. I'm not I'm not confused about the goodness. I'm smiling and crying all in the eight seconds. That's me. I'm reaching. I'm I want that level of care. So that's got got me into the work, and what got me and it, what keeps me in the work as well. How does it feel to do that kind of work? Mm. Well, it feels two kind of ways. Um, when you do it in village, it feels profoundly um, connective. Um, when you do an isolation, it feels like some of the biggest labor you ever do. And so I've learned to try and do as much as I can in village. Um, and so for me, 
early on and um in this work i felt uh overwhelmed and humbled and clear and the overwhelm has gotten smaller still present but much smaller mm-hmm. and 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 for me it feels i think how i describe it it feels like remembering how human we all are and and i think for me uh sometimes remembering is useful and sometimes when you have a a powerful ecosystem like america around you remembering can be challenging and that's why i love children i love um i love uh nature um because it's one of those places where you go oh snap i'm i'm on an earth that has that has plants and animals and and uh, it's remembering that because i think there's a way i remember uh being in a large city i think it was oakland i was doing a workshop for children and we were on cement and plastic and cars i didn't touch earth for a good week and i live in a desert i live in a tiny house in the desert so i'm I'm touching the earth all the time. I'm, I got five acres around me. I got Joshua trees and jackrabbits and dirt all in my neck. I'm, I'm in the earth. And so for me, it feels like remembering that's where we are. And ultimately, that's what I notice when I do this work is I'm, I'm, I don't care if I'm in a corporate office with some stressed out folks that have had some conflict around race or if I'm at a yoga studio in Oakland or if I'm on the street trying to hold someone thoughtfully, that it feels like I'm remembering and I'm inviting us all to remember um, that we're we're deeply dynamic and beautiful and grounded yes hurt yes stressed out but humans so it's about remembering um not really creating something new but it's remembering it's reminded us that before we got our ceo job before we made a hundred thousand dollars before we got four hundred thousand for all that we're we're human and i always carry a clay ball i'm surprised i don't have one right now next to me i carry a clay ball and i tell my mentees i said you know when we die we don't turn into our cell phones we turn to this they always chuckle a little bit go ha ha and they get calm and go snap that's real that's what it's me remembering. So it's always funny when I walk into corporate offices and I handing out clay balls to people in their cubicles and there. They was like, "Why are you giving me this clay ball? What is this Earth? What? What?" And it's always, but I want, to, I want to remember. This is you. Don't be afraid. This is Earth. Harvest it from the Mojave Desert. Let's be with it, because that's remembering. You find me doing that often in those environments where oftentimes I forget how human we are. Well, and the the interesting thing about that is, it's amazing how much people do without being grounded yeah yeah i don't have clay balls i'm a crystal girl (laughs) yes yes and one of the best things that has happened with working either from home or even when i had an office and my patients didn't come in my office is i i like to work with no shoes yes yes and have my feet touch the ground yes I haven't had a house with a yard in a while, so mm-hmm. I have some. I have some people in my life that they're they're good for the barefoot on the on the earth. Earth. I live by a park. You are not gonna catch me barefoot. That's truth. That's true. Where we have limitations. These, That's real. All these dogs have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These That's folks real. don't aren't all doing pooper scoopers. Let's be real. Yeah. That's real. That's so real. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's that's all all so important because it's so easy to become so disconnected and yes. become so focused on tasks cuz this is such a task driven society oh yes um that it's easy to lose who the human being is underneath it beyond the person that does these tasks mhm mhm 
You know, I think everyone can identify what they do for work. Yep. Yep. But everyone can identify who they are. That's so real. Oh, so real. Whew. Hey, you know, I, I went to school a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I, t- I talk to people all day. Yeah. <laughs> Some wisdom. Drop the wisdom. It's real. But I, I I know in my work I I deal with a lot of people's emotions and in your work it sounds like you do also. Yeah. How do you how do you recharge? Because this just doesn't sound like easy work. Yeah, yeah. How do you kind of get poured back into? I think there's two ways, and one's gonna feel like a joke, but it's not. It's really important. Um, I've noticed one of the most important things I do is I. I touch my poop twice, right? And so I poop in a bucket in a composting toilet. And it's something about that that's so human um, that humbles me, that slows me down, that helps me slow down what water means. And I'm not here to shame folks that poop in water. That's what most of us do in America do. But outside of America, that's strange behavior. And in America, it's strange behavior to not poop in water. And I use I have a put it nearby that we use that has water in it, but I don't use it often. And I say that because it pours back into me because it really grounds me. If I come from uh, a large city doing some big work or I'm doing a workshop or I'm facilitating, it's something about grabbing a bucket, right, of your own poop, right, and take it into its kind of final storage space to let store for a year. That grounds me. It really, it really gives me back to, again, my humanness. Um, and the second thing I do is really uh, carrying earth with me um, and having a practice of what I call, what I, what I use my own, this is kind of part of the touch plan, but also a part of my own touch plan is having a complex, I say complex, it feels complex in a, in a culture that doesn't touch, but everyone's outside the world, outside the United States, this is pretty normal. Having a comprehensive complex touch plan. So I'm touching the earth, I'm touching people, I'm touching animals, I'm, I'm with that touch place, I'm, I'm really allowing myself to ground into touch um, as medicine. And in that, um, we do a lot of this with folks that early on in their touch plans, we sing, I sing. And at least I always say singing is touch. So if I'm in a room and we're all together and we're in a, either office, whatever, and I'm singing, people are like, I'm not a singer. And I, we can go that trauma story for a while, but the idea is that if we can relax, know that I'm not talking about being a good singer, I'm talking about being a human. So however you sing is perfect. And a singing, that's touch. So I sing a lot as my grounding. So those are the medicines that I use um, to ground in and almost in my work, but also outside of when I'm actually going home or debriefing with my team, um, you'll find that clay balls, touch, and singing will be available. And that's medicine for me. Um, I'm one of those people that don't only sing around friends in my cell. That's real. It's so real. I, that's, I, I totally identify with that. And I, I, I honor that. And I know that one of one of the big comments <laughs> I get in my song circles, no, my song circles, people come to me and say, Aaron, I haven't sang in 20 years. And I came to your song circle and I sang for the first time. That's like the ultimate compliment to myself right now when I hear people say that. Because like, oh, snap, because what that means is there are singer singers that come out. I'm a singer. I've been told I'm a singer. And I remember, because I, I had the honor sometimes to go to elementary schools and sing and with third graders and fourth graders. And I usually, I always went to sing all the grades. And I go, okay, great. So I'll start with like second grade. And we go in there and I walk in and I say, raise your hand if you're a singer. And like the whole class, I'm a singer, yes. I'm a singer. And I was like, who in here is a beatboxer? 
I'm a beatboxer. What's a beatboxer? Oh, they're in. Second grade <laughs> and me, we get in on it. Like, we get in on it. We sing for 45 minutes, and I leave. The teachers kind of hate me and love me because the kids keep singing after I'm leaving. They're like, I'm, I'm a singer. And I go into the third grade class, and I got the same question. Who in here is a singer? Half the class raises their hand. Not quite as enthusiastic. And by the time we get to fifth grade, and I say, who in here is a singer? Two people may raise their hand and go, I'm a singer. What I've learned from second grade to fifth is that part of the ecosystem of of how we educate and shape is we're told in so many ways that if you're not excellent, if you don't show up a certain kind of way, that you can't sing. And so I've learned that that story has been my kind of intro to my song circles of like, your voice is welcome and I totally understand. What it might feel like to be like, Aaron, you don't know, you've never heard me sing and I can guarantee you without hearing a word out of your mouth that your voice is magic. And if we were in the same room in a circle, we would have, if, if you were willing to jump in, a powerful singing experience and I understand and respect the trauma story of like, uh-uh, Aaron, I'm good. I'm not going to sing in the People that really are not going to like attack my voice. But that's a big part of our touch plan. So that I, I is, that. is so cool because I know I I got a little bit more confidence. I have a line sister that, ooh, when she, when she sang them hymns, I was like, oh, I'm not that bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I can do this. If she's confident enough to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. Um, but yes, I was the one historically that sometimes I'd be lip syncing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it totally came understand. in hand it came in handy. I grew up in the Catholic church. So when yeah. I would go yeah. to the Black Baptist Church, I didn't know the hymns. Yeah. So it worked yeah. out well. I was like, I don't know the hymn. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate what you're saying. I'll have to I'll I'll, I'll definitely uh re-examine my perspective because I've seen it so much in kids. I love it. I, I work yeah. with kids a lot because I'm also a child psychiatrist and they will sing and dance their little hearts out. Oh yeah. And it has oh, yeah. nothing to do with mm-hmm. if they're going to be a music person in the future. It's just, mm-hmm. they sing yeah. and dance with reckless abandon. Yes. No one's, and told, it's them even, no one's told them. And it's even more fun because half the time they are dancing off beat and it is the cutest. Yeah. It's the most adorable yeah. thing. Yeah, in it on the planet and I, I think that's one of the the things I get sad about is that as grown-ups yeah. it's so much simpler for most children and young people to find joy yes yes that's so real mm. you know pull out that that there is that subset of people that were surrounded by so much trauma that their childhoods don't hold joy. So, you know, yes, I, yes, I do, real. I do, hold, I do hold space and recognize that there are some people that those times don't have fond memories or that freedom. Mm-hmm. Yes. But for a lot of people, they did. Cause I actually was having yes. a conversation with my best friend the other day. And I was like, one of the things I've been trying to do is make my life. It's never going to be as simple as when I was in college, mm-hmm. but I'm like, if I can get it, to some semblance of that simplicity. Cause I was like, we, none of us, some of y'all out there, I know you think all doctors had money when they were younger. I wasn't poor. I just didn't have money. There's a difference. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have food yeah. insecurity, but I wasn't buying cereal. Cause I realized cereal mm-hmm. was expensive. Oatmeal was mm-hmm. my friend. And just the amount of fun and great times we had, we knew everywhere that had two for one pizzas and <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff yes. like that and it it was just a really great time and it was so much simpler without so much stuff yes and mm, that's truth hey I'm, I'm trying to declutter Aaron. i have not quite made it i'm supposed to, mm-hmm. i downloaded an audiobook on minimalism 
I, I don't know if I'm going to make it to minimalism, but I've been working <laughs> on decluttering and having less. Oh, that's powerful. I, love hearing I, I, goes. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be true minimalist, but. <laughs> you know, it's funny because people are, are pretty, pretty intense about the minimalism. I think any kind of reduction is good, you know, like every level. There's no, there's no standard. I see some folks that like their whole, their whole years with the trash can fit in the cup. That's not me. Um, and some folks are just like just reducing. I think all of it, all of it is is useful. I think just put our minds towards less is healing practice alone. I mean, regardless of where we are on that journey. So I love the fact you're you're tracking it. I'm excited to see how you, how that goes. Really oh, great. thank you. Once I get rid of all these papers, you aren't gonna be able to tell me anything. <laughs> the next thing is I've I've got way too many papers around here, and the other thing is I have more pots and pans than I can cook with. That's real. That's so it's, real. I mean, it, it's it's the big stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. I live alone. You know, my community is a little bit different than it was at some points in my life where we were doing group dinners all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these larger containers, I I don't need five very large saucepans. Yes. I don't even use griddles and I have three. You know, it's just. True. Yeah. So my goal this week is to get all the stuff I don't need out of my kitchen. Ah, that makes me think I need to add something to the better seven because I'm like, like what is like sort of related to structure, but a lot of it's environment. I'm I'm mm-hmm. really big on, you know, I think one of the hugest things is having your environment to be neat and straightened up enough that you can have clarity. Yes. But also so it feels safe. Cause I feel like in some ways when there's just way too much stuff and things everywhere. How can it truly be safe if you can't sit down on a surface and without looking because you might sit on something? Exactly. Exactly. Minus, I realize that happens with folks with kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so 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 no hate on everybody out there with little kids. And I'll also add dogs because I was at my mom's house over the holiday, and that dog takes its toys everywhere. That's now, real. That's so real. This dog isn't even five pounds. So I'm like, how are there this many toys all over the house? He he just takes them and leaves them places. Wow. He doesn't put his toys back. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I'm like, how do you have toys in the living room, in the kitchen, in the office, in the hallway? It's it's just like you're five pounds. Yeah. That's real. That's so real. And then you're kind of like, when I was a kid, my my parents wouldn't let me leave toys everywhere like this. Why does he get to do it? (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. I want to know. Mom, you're listening. (laughs) Why does the dog have different responsibilities than I had? He's smart. (laughs) He's stupid. (laughs) I just need to get that out there. Uh, get it. I, I love it. <laughs> so I know we kind of mentioned in pas- passing, but especially because this has been a, a, a particular season that has been really, well, it's been a very long season for most people, but it feels like it's been filled with so much grief and loss. Can you talk to yeah. the people about grief to action? Yeah, grief to action. That is probably the most and probably will always be the most um, ambitious idea and and nonprofit and or 
movement and or thought process I've ever put my mind towards. And I wrote the idea of a nonprofit around grief and action five years ago. And I did some soft math and realized I needed like $100,000 to get us going. And I was like, okay, that's going to sit in the journal. That's going to sit in the journal for a while because I just don't have that kind of initial money to like just think about grief. And the grief is not necessarily new, but the action is expensive part of the idea economically. And so when when George Floyd in 2020 all started to happen, we had death already in the air. We were all shut in. We didn't know about this virus, COVID, what it was due. It was a superpower at that point. It's still profound, but there's a way that we can have a lot. We had a lot of question marks about this virus and we were just trying to stay away from it. And, um, so death was happening. It was happening in a way that we haven't seen in our country in my lifetime. And then George Floyd happened. And I don't have to talk much about how that happened, but I saw this big rage kind of pop into a culture. I saw marches happen throughout the United States. I've never seen at that level before. And a lot of rage. And I saw quickly, because it's, you know, it's a flashpoint of three months or so of like intense. And then it starts to die down. And what happens when it started to die down is I saw grief but nowhere for it to go. It was almost like smoldering. It was, a lot of, it was a lot of grief. And the rage was like here, but the grief was tender. It was purifying of our bodies, but it was like, where do you go to rage? Where do you go to, to drop in the grief? Where do you go to ground? And I'm, I'm shut in, but I'm shut in um, renting a, our church, which is on four and a half acres. And we're stuck in there. You know, We're working in using the office space in there. And uh, I get that notebook out brief to action. And I wrote it. I took it and turned to a Google Doc and sent it to my brother. He looked at it and goes, this is great. He added some things to it and sent it back to me. And I was like, I'm just going to send it out to the holistic resistance community and just let people know that we're trying to build this idea. And I sent it out. And this is pretty high, high intense American time. We're like, how do we fix everything? And so I sent it out and I got an email back from a dear friend of mine that says, I have $10,000 for you. I don't know what's happening next, but I'm going to go ahead and send it over. Um, you don't have a nonprofit yet, so you're going to get dinged there, but just I'm gonna send it your way to help seed, get this thing going. And that was like the kind of seed of like immediate people want to respond and think, but they realized that they said, that they didn't want, why I'm sending this money? Why I'm sending this money is because I have never heard of a space that's owned by African heritage folks that is committed to allowing space for us to come in grief. And I said, okay, thank you. First of all, thank you, I'm honored. Um, and shortly after that, um, because of all the the um, political unrest, we started fundraising, fundraising, and um, we're on four and a half acres, but it's not fenced. Um, and I didn't really think about it. I was just like, you know, we have four and a half acres. I've been there for 20 years on our church property. And uh, January 6th happened. They marched on the Capitol happened. And we live in a white predominant community and mostly Republican little pocket in, in Southern California. And, and um, I had one of our workers on our property help do the land maintenance. Um, was walking the border of our property and the neighbor sees him and calls the police and calls seven of their local neighbors, rolled up seven cars up on our property, honking their horns and saying that he was on their property. And I was like, no, he was on our property. I've been here for 25 years since our property. And the, the short of it is I realized how unsafe we were to even have our own black space. Um, so I was like, this is intense. And one woman that was really upset gets out in my face and was like, I called the police and we got guns. And she's referencing the people in the car. I didn't see any guns, but they were all kind of in the car still. And I was like, on my property, threatening myself, and and, 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 and and sure enough, the police roll up, and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know, it's gonna be white woman's yelling at me. Cop rolls up, and she she gets out of the car. She's a white woman too. I'm like, a one cop white woman and a, a white woman that's angry. So I was anticipating to being cornered as a black male here, and 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 white woman comes up to me. I don't know where where she's been trained or whatever. She comes up to me. She says, "Are these people on your property?" And I was kind of confused. I was like, "Yeah." She's like, 
would you like to ask them to leave? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And so she turns out, I was like, all of y'all off of the brother's property. I'm, I'm, my mouth is dropped. I'm like, this white woman's police officer dictating these, these white folks off our property, but it was very clear in that moment. She turns out to look at me, she's Aaron. She said, you need a fence. I don't know what you, your, your neighbors are confused, but you need a fence. I just want you to know that. And I was like, I'm still in shock that she's advocating for me. They called her. Um, they were, they're kind of shocked too. They're kind of surprised that she was actually um, advocating for me. This is all good, actually, police work at this moment. And she left, and I'm in shock, but I'm sitting here, I got four and a half acres, how to put a fence around it? So I sent an email out to people. I said, I'm trying to make this grief to action camp. And seven folks have read up on our property. This is, the political unrest at this time is pretty intense during the time. We're marching on Washington. Everyone's feeling like they got to like, change America, right? And so I sent an email out, and um, mm, I get just humble thinking about it. And in 10 days, we raised $80,000 to build a fence. I didn't know how much expensive it was to build a fence. I never built a fence around four and a half acres. <laughs> I've never done it before. And so I didn't realize how much I needed, but when I did the math, I was like, I need like $100,000 to build a fence a nice fence around us for not acres to give sanctuary for black folks to grieve and to be black and to be in grief. I say black people, black people first. And then there's people who global majority, all people global majority, meaning that even non-black people global majority, global majority are also POC people use those interchangeably. Um, so I have a new phrase and we should identify that. So for also about center black folks, because I, I realize how many times we don't have space to go and grieve. And then the grief, this is where it gets intense, is action. So if you come and say, Aaron, I'm grieving because I lost my, I got a car accident, I hurt my arm, my car is broken. I need to come in just to relax and grieve for a moment. Yeah, I got you. And the action is, can we get you another car? Like, if we can, can we figure out a way to get you something? Like, can we, can we do something to come to grieve because we don't have any food in our community? Can we, can we grieve that? And then can we figure out how to get a garden in your community? Now, this is, <clears throat> this is intense to do as a, as a nonprofit. It's intense, expensive. Um, but I found it's worthy to do. The expense shouldn't stop. I'm naming it because carnage is expensive. Oppression is expensive on people of global majority. We've seen that with, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre and all the things that happened. It, it cost people a lot to be in that country. So the idea is that we can come grieve this. What are we gonna do about it, right? What can't even if it's a little bit, even if it's five dollars to hundred, give you five dollars. Whatever we can do to, to interrupt that. So a grief to action is, is a desire for us to come and grieve. And have action. And so that was 2020. Here we are in 2022. And grief to action now. Um, we have, uh, uh, what do you call it? Reparation land transfer of 189 acres in uh, Northern California that we're going to um, make available for us off-grid, beautiful off-grid um, property, um, natural clay buildings, not a lot of clay buildings. Um, it's an intentional community had it white community had it for 30 years and they want to transfer into black hands. They heard about our project. They're like, I want to back you what you're doing. And so we're in the process as we speak. I'm be heading up there on 28th to work on the property, do some workshops there and bring that in. So now we have this, we went from 11 acres. We still had 11 acres. That's still there. But now we have 189 acres that has beautiful cop buildings in this off-grid site up in Northern California, up in Boonville, California, um, to do this work and to do work around um, our test specialists. And so it's on our campus that we have access to. I say it, it's, a, it's a long story between the two, but I say that because grief to action is about making sanctuary for African heritage folks, centering first, and then people go majority as well, to come and be human in their grief and to be held. And obviously we use test specialists and our deep holder people that we are training in that program to help, help and hold people when they can and, and we put the budget together for it. But that's kind of the, the ecosystem. So that's, that's the grief to action story in the sense of origin story to now, but why? is I saw that bubble up and I didn't see a lot of people saying, this is where you go to release that grief. And so that's why that community is being built. And that's why we're here. I'm here talking about it because I hope that somebody that's um, needing that kind of support can reach and figure out a way to be, be in community about it.
Well, I just feel honored to be able to hold some space for you because that, that just sounds like such important work. Well, it doesn't sound like I have a professional opinion. It is very important work. Mm. Mm. Let, let me watch my language because words matter. Mm. Mm. Thank you so much. I mean, it's, if, if I could, I'd send three quarters of my patients. Yeah, right. We're going to make it accessible, right? We're trying to make it accessible. So we're trying to figure out right now is the cost of moving people across the country to be a part of this or wherever they can. It's, it's part of what we're trying to, I'm, I'm literally going to be leaving in February to do a big fundraiser for this exactly, exact purpose to make it accessible. Well, and I, I loved when I was looking at the website, how it, it just does so many things. It's mm. It always amazes me when people are able to do multiple things, but actually do them well. Mm. <laughs> But but the fact that there's that component, it looks like where people can really be there. So versus yeah. it being, you know, some some programs are programs they're kind of like drop ins, or you stop by, or you talk to somebody for one hour. You mm -hmm. know that you know that these there are elements and components that are really designed for people to actually spend some actual time. Yeah, so real. That's one of our big challenges is making time for people to stop their lives for a week or a day or a couple of days to be embodied and be in nature. And that's hard for people to go majority. So we're trying to figure out ways to like make that be considered. And as we try and invite people into a grief space or a meditative space, or even a writing space, people that want to write, you know, that's part of it too. We make that available to them, like create a space and grief space. We're going to diversify the space because it's so large. We make sure we, we utilize it. Oh, wow. That's intriguing. I feel like I, I'm going to have to put you on like speed text. Like what's new? What's going on, new Aaron? <laughs> I feel like, oh, that was Kim Hill where it's like, hey, Rod. I remember it drops because I get texts. I looked at it, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm forever changing. I'm not Jiffy Lou. They look at my name, they go, hey, I was like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> It's like there are two two names that will never be forgotten. It's that no. and Byron. Byron. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love oh, oh. with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Better with Dr. Erica. Well, this this is a great time to transition to the wonderful speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I can't wait for your answers. I, oh. I really can't wait. <laughs> so the first one is, what is the best compliment you've ever received? Oh, snap. Mm. You know, it's funny because I think I already kind of revealed this a little bit, but I think it is, I can warrant to it. It's about singing. Uh, when people... Um, come to me after a song circle and say, I haven't sang in 20 years. I was told when I was eight years mm -hmm. old, I couldn't sing and I never did it. And I came here, I trusted your container and I tried it. And it's amazing. And it's partly because um, the compliment for me is that's me. The person that struggled with reading my entire life mm -hmm. and now I'm doing pretty good in my reading and writing uh, out of hard work. There's a level of humility and humanness that's in that. And that changes me. So for me, when I see people say, I haven't done something in 20 years. I haven't held someone's hand in 20 years. 
I thought it was impossible, and I did it. That's the compliment to me, to me, because I feel like that is what I get up in the morning for, um, is to get up to interrupt someone's trauma story that hasn't been interrupted in 20 years. Um, and that is a huge compliment to myself. I thought I would say that one of the biggest comments I've received recently just in the, in the singing community that I've been doing community singing with. Well, I, I'm down for that. I mm. like that. The next one is, what's one piece of advice that you'd like to tell your younger self? Oh, my goodness. Little Aaron. It's so funny when you say that question. I think about when I was about sixth grade. I was at Quell Valley Middle School. And I realized that I think I said something to myself. I remember I said, it, I said, if, if I don't pass this test, I can't get past sixth grade. I can't get past sixth grade. I can't go to high school. If I can't go to high school, I can't go to college. So basically, this test is going to affect my entire life. You know, I was a little overwhelmed. Oh, God. What I told, told little Aaron about the little test is the States and Capitals test. I don't know why they stress about that, about this, but have dyslexia and States and Capitals. You're right. If you're a blank map, you're going to write all the states and capitals. And you can't, you know, have to, you know, it's a really little stressful test. So you had to write a yeah. hundred things, really? Yeah, because really? you gotta go through the whole state. Of every 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 state, you know, you gotta go. What's the state and what's the what's the capitals? The geography test that our teacher was like making it priority for us to graduate or get to the next grade is the thing. She started at the beginning of the year. You just keep doing it over and over every. I, I was struggling the entire year. Um, and what I thought, what I told Aaron is not just about dyslexia because that really framed me. I I loved it because my mother told me she would say i come back from school she said how was school and i said it was good and she'll come back how was school and she told me every period first period was like this second period and what i mean about that is that my mom was was tracking where in your school day they tell you, you weren't great and you weren't good mm-hmm. interrupted and so for me what i would tell aaron if i go back to little aaron sixth grade is i would stand next to my mom and, and energetically and say look aaron you're gonna be okay you're gonna be just fine your intelligence is not attached at all to your dyslexia that's just how your brain works. And I would also say, Aaron, go out and be in nature again. Like, go go back out and be more. I mean, I love being outside. When I got a little older, I got in the sixth grade, seventh grade, I stopped being out in nature. I would say, go back out and be with those ants and be with those little plants and be with your voice in the earth. Um, that would be the advice. And, and remind myself again that you're going to be okay, that your intelligence is not based upon your limitations in this kind of tight container called uh, public school. And I think public school has beautiful things to it. I have a lot of education in my family. I've seen for me, I would have told myself that I've been a mantra. Um, and I think too, I'll say to him as well, I say now to a lot of my clients, mentees and myself is stay creative. I'll take on the impossible. Stay creative, Aaron. Don't, don't lose creativity. Just really going on that. And that was told to me, but I would have really told myself that that was my saving grace going forward in my schooling and everything else I was doing. Oh, it's like, now I want to meet little Aaron. <laughs> Text me. I'll send you a picture of little sixth grade Aaron. It'll be great. I was going to say, I haven't um, I haven't found the place where time travel really exists other than sci-fi movies. So Yeah. Someday. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things where even if I could, I don't know. I feel like it would be easy to go back and then have difficulty with present moment awareness once you went back. That's real. That's real. That then it would be staying focused on all the things you saw in the past or all the things you saw in the future. So mm-hmm. I'd have to say, I think if, if I had the opportunity, I would, I would stay where I was. Cause yeah, I, that's real. I, I, I don't want to have <laughs> to pay for a whole lot of extra therapy. Cause I can't, <laughs> cause I'm anxious. Yes. The, the psychological <laughs> oh, oh. impact of time travel is not talked about near enough. 
Yes, I mean, I, they, they do it on there and they all seem like, oh, do, 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 do. I'm like, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> last one is what is your superpower? Mm. Mm. I think for me, that question really drops deep in my heart around how my life changed. And that is questions. I feel like my love for questions, how questions have saved my life have shifted my life and how I birth questions in my consulting and my work is my superpower, um, my relationship and my deep connection to questions. I, I just, I, for my birthday for the last probably six years, I tell everyone I love, I said, don't send me a gift, a gift card, send me a question. I want a question that moves my heart. That to me is my superpower is the collection and the creation of life shifting questions. Even their simple ones. I love even simple ones. Oh, those simple ones that maybe just drop into my knees a little bit. That's oof, years of just gifts. Now I feel like I got to send you a question. <sighs> that that warm my heart. That warm my heart. I love it. I love it. I, 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 li- we, I love it. We may have to make that happen. Ah, I'm down. So do you have any final thoughts for the listeners out here in Better Nation? You know, ultimately, I just, I am so grateful to be a part of this community and um, just appreciate your vibe. And I think ultimately my final thoughts is, you know, that idea of remembering that sticks with me from today's conversation with many things is like, I just want to remember we're human. I remember we're connected. I want to reach for folks' heart. And I want that however this experience lands in your heart, know that I am every day getting up, trying to empty the cup to reach for um, not just the goodness of who we are, but the, the full potential of healing in this country and maybe beyond. Right now I'm kind of stuck in America and doing a lot of work in America. So um, I'm really focused on here, but I know it ripples beyond that. But I, I really am stuck on that. I really am invested in um, hopefully leaving this earth uh, a little bit more grounded, maybe some more questions that weren't asked and a little more connected than we were before. If I could do this a little bit, even for like a couple of folks, that would be huge. And I hope that um, to your listeners that we all can contribute to that. And I think that your vibe is already that. So I just love that. So I think that's what I would say. And, um, and all the folks that might identify with the singing part that say, I'm not a singer, I want to encourage you to just maybe go find someone you trust and try a little bit of sound come out of your mouth and see what it feels like. Because I think that's one of the most easy ways we can interrupt stories that we've been told that aren't true. And so that's what I would say. That's my closing thought. And just, yeah, sending out so much love for you and for having me and <clears throat> for being a part of this, these new folks. Yeah, want to get connected. Yay. I'm, I just feel all the warm and fuzzies. Mm-hmm. Lots of warm and fuzzies. So... Uh-huh. I I can only imagine how intrigued everyone that has listened to you is because I know I'm intrigued. How can the people find you if you want to be found? Yeah, I would love to be found. Um, There's a couple ways. If you are a person that's like, I'm ready to get at this. Um, I'm ready to work. I don't have time for like emails and stuff. I have a phone number I can give you. Um, You could text this number. That's my public facing number. You can text and reach and say, hey, I'm interested in something you said. I want clarification on something and me and my team will get back to you, but it's actually on my person. So I'll get it first. And if it's a lot to talk about, I'll figure out how mm-hmm. to expand it to my team. Um, and I can give you that number now and you can also have it in your notes. Does that feel good to give okay. it now or how do you want to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can. So that number is set. Yeah. Yeah. So that number is 760-885-6740. And that's for the folks that are like, let's get at this. And you can also find me on Instagram at holistic resistant under dash dot holistic resistance under dash. Um, and then you also find my website, holisticresistance.com. Holisticresistance.com is a great place to get me. And grieftoaction.com is a great place to get me too. So those are all, all the folks can get me on those emails. If you're an email person, 
Um, I like the option for voice text too, because I'll hear people's voices. So like text is always great. People are like, hey, Aaron, I was just da, 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 da. And it's voice text. I have an iPhone on that line. So I love receiving um, voice text because I love, even though I can read really well and do that now, I, I prefer hearing people's voices and their texture because connection is important to me. So those are the ways you can get hold to me um, and reach out. You have an idea, you have a dream, you have some grief, you have some work, whatever it is. I just figure out if we can, we can figure support or be in connection or be in collaboration. I'm down to, to hear you. Uh, I'm busy, but I try myself available for connection. Can I give um, one ecstatic yay for you being team iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> team blue message. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the first thing I have to say is just, I am just beyond grateful to have had this time with you. It's, it's really special. I, I feel all, I already said I feel warm and fuzzy, but I have like, my mom used to say it, you have one tear that won't let you down. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, my my family is full of all the sayings, all the sayings, all of the ah, sayings. Oh, uh, I love it. But I'm I'm just so thankful and grateful that you were able to um, make some time for us. Yes. So the first thing is I just have to say thank you for pouring into myself and all the listeners in Better Nation on this podcast. I I'm just really. I'm just really touched. The next thing is I have to say to all of you that are listening out there, give yourself a big round of applause because you know what? You showed up for you today. And when you show up for you and you take some time out for yourself, it's going to ripple into other people. But you know you have to pour into yourself first. We always talk about that. We talk about that here, that you know this podcast is for all those folks that you give and give and give and you show up for everybody you show up for work you show up for your family you show up for your friends you show up for your community but you often don't show up for yourselves so my goal is to help put you back in your life and by listening you did a little bit of that today so congratulations um if i could sing i'd start singing congratulations by vesta but it's totally out of context cuz the whole it should have been me yeah that's just not what we're talking about right here, but um, Aaron's getting a taste of the fact that my mind works like Ally McBeal. There's like a little soundtrack that pops up to everything I say or hear. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. One of the things my best friend and I are, are close and she gets it because she does the same thing. So we'll start singing random songs and the other one picks it up because oh. our, our brains move like that. Um, but I'm just proud of everyone for, for showing up. My, I have two quick final thoughts. Um, one is I've been sharing, I had these little quotes, um, yay for, I'm not endorsed by Target, but yay for Target because it, they solved the issue of all these things with these little cards. I used to have all these things with these cards with sayings and all this stuff. They gave a holder for it. So by there being a holder, so they sit up, I actually use them versus when they're in the box, they just sit there. And ironically, out of everything that we were talking about, the one that popped up for today is Life is Always Now by Tennessee Williams. So that's my thought for, for this episode is, is we already had a quick moment talking about present moment awareness, but also in the fact that the time is now. One of the things that has really been underscored in this space where the pandemic has happened, because I, I don't think it's only the pandemic, because there have been people dying left and right, and all of them haven't been dying for COVID. And I don't know if I've paid more attention because I'm getting a little bit older. I'm older than 40. Um, 
if I've been paying more attention because I'm older or I still think there's something about this season that there's been a lot of loss, a lot of death. But also we've had this conversation around grief and there's a lot of different loss that happens that's not specifically death. People have had loss of jobs, loss of relationships, loss of things that are identity because sometimes when people, you have certain kinds of careers that that goes along with it. When people get divorced, they don't know who they are outside of that. Loss of money, (laughs) you know, being on the struggle bus doesn't feel good and people will grieve that grief of over what the future the future doesn't look like or the present doesn't look like how you imagined it in the past you can grieve so many different things but the thing that's really important is to start taking steps in this moment for healing and i want to hold space for that because a lot of times it's very easy to get caught up in the busyness of life and not actually taking that time to manage grief or trauma or to actually take care of yourself. And all of these processes, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it as much today, is all of these processes all interweave with each other where they're affecting your mental and emotional health. They may also impact your spiritual health and your relationships to your higher power. And they also interact with your physical health and how your physical health presents. And the one thing we don't, we, none of us know, well, the one thing we all know is at some point we are going to cease existing in this physical form. Everybody dies. We don't know when. And what's been underscored over this last season is you really don't know when. So this assumption of there's always a tomorrow and a tomorrow and a tomorrow makes me think of, I can't remember who sang that song. Was it, there was an old gospel song called Tomorrow that I can't think of who sang it. I think it may have been commissioned. Mm. I think I'm dating myself right now. Um is that a lot of times we all think about tomorrow. We're going to do this tomorrow. We're going to do this in a week. We're going to do this later. And I I want to start urging people to start taking steps now. They don't have to be big steps. But in general, it's very few people that get to the life that they truly want by doing nothing. Mm. There are those handful of people that somehow everything just comes together and between the lottery, trust funds or something, and they just showed up. That's not how it works for most people. But to get the life you really want and to really have that life that you actually can feel good about and that you have those healthy connections, healthy relationships, are able to experience joy and love, is that it typically takes some action. So I just want to remind you that the time is now. And there are just all these different creative people that can be on your team to help get you there. Because I've had, you know, I've had different kinds of coaches on. Then I've had, I've had my friends that are naturopathic physicians on. I've had nutritionists on. I've had other types of therapists on. I've had other types of connection experts on. There's just a, a wide variety of ways. And you all know I love my acupuncturists. 
Now we've had Aaron Johnson on. There are just all these different tools out there to help get you to where you want. I just want you to start start looking for them because some of them, I think people think that to get access to tools to help you feel better, that you have to be rich. And that's not the case. So all I, all this is just to say that you deserve better. Mm. And you matter. So with that, thank you so much for showing up. I want you to take your left hand, put it on your right arm. Take your right hand, put it on your left arm. Give yourself a huge squeeze because you know who deserves a hug? You do. Don't do this if you're driving, though, because I am not taking liability for um, you having a car accident because your butt took your hands off the wheel. (laughs) But if you like what you heard, do me a favor. um, Please follow or subscribe. It helps me get better content for you. The next thing is if if you enjoyed it, share. Sharing is caring. Don't let this podcast be the best kept secret. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell the checkout guy at Trader Joe's. Tell your Uber driver, your Lyft driver, the person you ran into on the streets. Um, Just let people know that Better with Dr. Erica is out there. And the last thing is please rate and review. That also helps me. Um, After I said all that, I just want to send a little message out and say I love y'all, y'all. I I love y'all. And, yes, I've spent some time in the South, so I am very committed to the use of the word y'all. I do not say you all. I typically don't say you that often. I say a lot of y'all. And, you know, folks just accept it. Um, But that's all I got for you now. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Until next time, have an even better day. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now, don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. But I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.